The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. We're going to be talking about Isaac today, who's kind of one of the more obscure characters. Everybody knows about Abraham. You know about Jacob, um, especially if you went to Sunday school. They're kind of the big ones. Isaac kind of falls in the middle, and you know a little less about him maybe, except for maybe he was almost an offering and didn't make it, you know. But we're going to kind of go into Isaac. But even as Pastor Jonathan and I have been fellowshipping around the life of these three men and, and what God did in their lives, there's like a richness to it. Because, and it becomes richer and richer as you talk in fellowship and pray around it. Because he's not just laying a foundation, but he's also completely foreshadowing everything he wants to do with mankind. Like Pastor Jonathan said, he was establishing a covenant relationship. He wants to know man deeply and intimately. He wants to bring us back to the garden where we have fellowship with him, intimate fellowship with him. And it's interesting that when Isaac was born, God had already declared his name was going to be laughter. His name was going to be laughter, and and I'm jumping ahead of myself, but his mother laughed when he heard about it. His father laughed when he heard about him having a son. But God in heaven also said his name is going to be laughter. And later on we find out in the text that laughter is a key word that can also be associated in the Hebrew with intimacy, a closeness of relationship. And so he's even putting Isaac in between these guys to raise up the idea that there's a joyful relationship God wants with you. And I know we know these stories. If you've come to church for a long time, you know these truths. But Paul in the, in, the New, in the New Testament is constantly saying, I hope you grow in love. I want you to know the depth, the width, the height of his love because we might have this much. But every single one of us in here needs more of the understanding and belief in his love. God is not just against your sin. He's not just against your sin. The enemy wants you to focus on your sin and condemn yourself. Yes, we have to deal with it. He's dealing with the heart that produces sin. He's dealing with your heart and trying to get you to a place where sin has no attraction, but God alone consumes him with your, with, in your heart. You're consumed with him, so sin has no attraction, and you're living in relationship with him like the garden that we see fruit on a tree that looks pretty, but it doesn't look pretty to you. That's what he's after. He's not after all the nitty and gritty that holds you back. Condemnation is not your friend. Doubt is not your friend. Knowing and understanding the love of God as established even in these three men's lives will change you in progressive order. Where you're at today is not to to look down on. It's a beginning point. Wherever you're at is a beginning And we need to say, God, I need to grow in the love of God. I need the doubt in my heart to be diminished. I want you to crush everything that suppresses me from saying, I love you, God. Have my life. It's all yours. I trust you. That's where he wants to get you. And he can do it because he did it through three men who are completely different from one another. 
He wants to establish a foundation in the life of these three men so that you can say, and Israel too, it wasn't just one off, like you English like to say. He wasn't just dealing with Abraham. He did it three times to establish a testimony. Now, I'll pull up some scriptures, and I'm going to move very quickly because there's a lot to say about Isaac, even if he seems a little bit lost between Abraham and Jacob. There's a lot to say here. Um, if you could pull up some of these scriptures, I'm just going to... There's six of them in the scriptures that talk about the importance of two or three witnesses in a critical matter, that if you are being forced into court and somebody's coming in accusation against somebody that's very serious, don't accept the testimony of one person. Let it be three, two or three at most. And it's a theme that carries on from the Old Testament into the New. Look at this. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Next one. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Again, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along. This is the New Testament now. Take two, one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And last... There's, there's others, but this will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's Paul talking to a church that he went to. God, even before all those words were written, is living and operating according to this truth that he shares with everybody else. What he wants us to live by, he's already operating under this mindset. He is giving us Three testimonies of who he is. He's not a one-off God. Everything he did with Abraham, he did with Isaac and with Jacob. Three different people, and he's establishing his love. And as you, as you study Isaac, and you'll see that a lot of the things that he did in Isaac's life, he already did in Abraham. But he's saying, this isn't just one-off. I can do it again. In the matters of your life, I want to come in and show myself strong and able. Let me quickly run through Isaac's life because you can't touch everything, but there's some beautiful things in here. I want to paint a picture of Isaac. Isaac was born according to a promise, okay? And his life is covered in the scriptures from chapter 21 of Genesis all the way to 27. But it's a little before then and a little bit after because his life impacted so much. But he was part of a promise, a very unusual promise. You could Oh, yeah, there it is. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. On a side note, these verses that God just sticks in there that kind of beautifully, it says he did everything he said. Not one thing was missing. When Jesus came on earth, there's a verse in Luke that says, and then suddenly Christ was there. Suddenly, everything he promised came to pass. Everything that was on his heart became real. And even though we're not tasting it, we might have to wait for something, it's going to happen. And this happened. Think of the magnitude of this. Think of the magnitude. God comes to a man who's 75 years old, Abraham, and then to his wife who's 10 years younger, 65 years old, and says, you're going to have a child. 
Not just any child. You're going to have a special child, and this is the heir of everything I'm going to do. All I want to do in the nations, everything I want to bless you with, I'm going to bless the nations, and it's going to go through the child that comes from your womb. What would you do? I asked my wife if this was okay. She said, I'll go for it. She, it <laughs> my mother wouldn't like it. Um, if you are a lady here, and you're of 65 years of age or older, How would you <laughs> How would you like God to come and say you're going to have a baby? Rise to your feet everybody who rise everybody rise <laughs> not grandbaby child 65 years old But it wasn't till 25 more years that that child came so at 90, is it understandable that she laughs? Oh my God, it even suggests that she nursed him at 90 years old. That God didn't just give her a baby, but he made her whole body operate in a way that a mother's supposed to. That's amazing, you think about it. At 90, does Sarah get to nurse? Oh God, you only promised a baby. She gets all the blessings of motherhood in it. Like he did beyond what he said. I, I'm over the body. I'm over relationships. I can handle all these things. I did check out um, some of your local newspapers, and I also checked with Claire again that this is a reliable newspaper here in the UK. <laughs> As I understand, I can't quote all of them. We have a few in the US that are a little seedy too. But this comes from the Telegraph, okay? Is that okay? Everybody raise your hand if you're okay with the Telegraph. Reliable source. I don't know, okay. <laughs> I didn't see one hand go up. I'm in trouble. Oh, no. <laughs> this, <I> was, <laughs> the Telegraph, I'm not going to quote it on any political ground, so I don't even know where it stands politically, but it reported in 2008 that the UK made the World Book of Records. You guys made it big. Small nation, big impact in the world. You have this notable thing. The oldest woman on record to have a child naturally without any assistance from doctors or anything like that was from the UK. 59 years old. 59. Yeah, it's really happened in 2008. Dawn Brooke was her name, poor woman, okay? Others had it later with all these other medicines and advancements. But God comes to this woman at 65 and says, you're going to have a baby. Today, it's 59. And then to make sure that everybody knew that this was a promised child and God was involved in it, he waits 25 years so that there's no way. And then I'm going to nurse? Oh, my God. Who are you? You are above everything. You're not ordinary. So Isaac here is brought into this environment of promise, the long-awaited one. This child who shouldn't be, who came through the womb of a 90-year-old woman who to Abraham was told he's going to bless the nations, that nations are going to come from this child. What do you think that did to Isaac as a kid? Do you think his mother was maybe just a touch overprotective? <laughs> uh, my baby. She chased other kids off because of him. Don't you laugh at my boy. Get out of here. 
It shook things up in the family. This kid had some special things going on. This is what he's born into. And Isaac begins to witness his father's faith. He sees things that are happening. Isaac get, or Abraham gets so blessed of God that Abimelech comes to him in the same chapter, 21, and says, you're great. God has blessed you exceedingly. Make a treaty with us. We don't want to do harm to you, and we don't want you to do harm to us. That's how much the blessing was. Isaac is watching. This is what God said to him. And look at this. My dad sitting out in a field. Up comes the armies. His soldier, Fickle, what is his name? P-H-I-C-O-L. Comes up and says, we can tell God is with you. We want to make a treaty with you. Wow. Huh. Maybe there's something to what God told dad. And then he sees Abraham building altars, calling on the name of the Lord. In verse 22 of the same chapter, 21. <coughs> in chapter 21, 22, he sees his father building altars, calling on the name of the Lord. He sees the faithfulness of a man pursuing God. But then in chapter 22, something weird happens to Isaac. God comes to Abraham and says, sacrifice your son. Now, take the weight of this in for Abraham and also Isaac. Long-awaited one. My wife had him at 90. All the blessings of the nation are going to come through him. I've waited for this one. And now you're saying, lay this down? If I lay this down, it's going to go back to Eliezer of Damascus, my servant. All the blessings are going to have to go to another son or somebody else. And I've sent them all away with other gifts because this is the one who's getting everything. And now, God, I don't understand. I've waited. And now this. Mind-boggling. Like, you've got a plan. You're the God with the plan. You, you made this happen. I didn't make this happen. And now I lay down my son. But in Hebrews it says, Abraham by faith recognized that God could raise the kid from the dead. He's got a plan. Look, he made my wife have a baby at 90. So he can raise him from the dead. He's got a plan. He's doing something. I don't have to worry about what he's doing. But it's odd, too, that God later punishes nations for sacrificing their children. He said, this is not acceptable to me. This is the blood of the children cry out to me. I will not stand for this. And so it's like God is not interested in this child sacrifice, but he calls him to it. And there's Isaac laying on the stones with his father with a knife just about this. And a voice from heaven comes, Abraham, Abraham. Twice he shouts out to him. Did Isaac hear this? Was Isaac witnessing this? Yes. A God who speaks, a God who intervenes, a God who's holding back the sword above my head or the dagger. Is there a God? Wow. Look behind your back, Abraham. Look behind your back. There's a ram caught in the thicket. How often does that happen? It was a good day for Isaac, wasn't it? If it didn't happen, that was a good day for it to happen. What was going on inside of Isaac? Oh my God, he's rescued me. This God who speaks to my father, he's rescued me. He serves him. He lays out altars. He draws upon his presence. He calls out to him. This is a real God. 
make my mother be the oldest mom in town. He's a real God. Then his mother dies, the one who protected him, loved him, cared for him. And it even says in the scripture that Abraham sent uh, his servant to find a wife for him to comfort him after his mother's death. This death, as much as the death of a mother shakes you, it must have really shaken Isaac that his protector and chief has gone. Because notice, Abraham never told Sarah he was going to take Isaac up to the hill. You imagine if he told mama? <laughs> you what? He, he says the next morning he got up and left with two boys and they went up to the hill. In fact, he didn't even tell Abraham what mountain to sacrifice him on. He said, just go, I'll show you the mountain. And he marches three days and he gets up to the hill. He never tells Sarah. I think Sarah and him had a, a deep conversation when they got home, right? <laughs> you know, it, but we see here that this woman has passed away. And so... God miraculously provides a wife for him. And we don't have time to get into it. But it is miraculous. It's miraculous. The servant guy puts his thigh under Abraham's leg. Puts his, puts his hand under Abraham's thigh, excuse me. He puts his hand underneath him and promises, I will go to the land of your family and find a wife for you. And Abraham says, when, it, when the guy says, but what if he doesn't do this? What if they don't do that? He says, God's angels shall go before you and make a way. And so when he comes to the land, he says, God, speed this up, please. Help this to happen. Honor my father, my, my, my master's covenant with you. Honor this. Let the woman who comes up to me, and I ask, the first woman, let the first woman who comes say, I'll, I'll ask her for water. And she'll say, oh, I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one. So a woman approaches. He's sitting. He's gone out in the desert somewhere. Will you, can I have some water? Oh, water your camels. Who are you? Oh, I'm so-and-so of the family of Naboth. I'm, you're related to Abraham? You're of the family of Abraham? You're a beautiful young woman? You're here? You're the one? And he stops and worships God. Even the servants start worshiping because they see the God of Abraham. And then, long story short, everybody acknowledges it. They send the daughter out the next day, even though they say, let's, Let's wait 10 days before we send her off. Next day, they send her off, and Isaac receives her. And they are wonderfully married, and he's comforted after the death of his mother. So this is Isaac so far. Has he seen a God that isn't just in church? He's seen a God that affects lives and people. And that's what's for us. We don't just have a God who's God in church, but he's a God over relationships. He can bring people into our lives that will bless us and be good for us. He can affect our bodies and bring healing. He can do amazing things. Let me just skip, I'm missing one point. And he can also bless us materially in a way that everybody says, oh, God is with them. He's above all these things. God is establishing this as a foundation. These are three messages. God can provide God can touch your body and do and bring life. And then he can also affect our relationships, life issues. He's not a distant God. He's about life. Do you see those three issues? They're not just church issues. They're life issues. Quickly, I'm just going to say a few other things about this. Isaac faced the same issues Abraham did. 
He also lied like his father did. He made the same mistakes. And as you read the scriptures or even more, you'll be realized how many things were in common. Do you know that Isaac had to wait almost 20 years for a child himself? But when his wife was barren, it says he went and prayed. That something is affecting this man. Hey, God can do this thing in, in, a, in a woman's womb. He can make a baby come out. He did it in mama. Let's pray. First thing he does, he prays. Then the next verse, I'll give you the verse here. It's chapter 26. 25, verse 21. Then the next verse, it says that she had a baby, but it was almost 20 years later. And the two babies inside her start, are, are churning so much. She's like, what's going on here? You know, you think about it. We have four kids. They waited until last, at least after the first year before they started fighting, okay? She has it in the womb. Are there going to be family issues here? What's going on? The battle's already started. They don't even have toys yet. So what does she do? She inquires of the Lord. This is a girl who's brought in from a pagan country into this. And she's already saying, oh, hey, there's a God. There's got to be a God. This is a real God. This Abraham God, he's a real thing. So she inquires of the Lord what's going on, and God speaks about this. I want to say something that I skipped over. And if you could pull up the words to reckless love again, by the end of this message, I want these words to resonate in you. Because as God's laying a foundation of his love and his provision and his kindness to us, as we were singing the words to this song today, I realized sometimes we sing through songs and we don't take in the meaning of them. Our level of doubt or our level of um, holding back on trusting God is such that we don't say, yes, it's true. But I want to just read in this point just to come back to this. Before you spoke a word, you were singing over me. That's Zephaniah. That's from the Bible. God sings over us. He rejoices over us. In the New Testament, it says that he rejoices over the one that was lost. It even says in some parables that he is a party when people come into the kingdom of heaven, that heaven rejoices. These are realities. They're not just wishful thinking. These are things God has spoken. Go on to the next one. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so good to me, kind to me. Next one overwhelming. Okay, this is what I want to touch. Go back, go back. His love chases us down. It knocks down walls. He's willing to climb mountains. Do you believe that God is really after you? I think a lot of us think he's disappointed with us. He's sitting back. He's not so happy. He thinks we're doing an iffy job down here. And I shouldn't raise up. I remember Penny's testimony that she shared that she felt like she wasn't a very good Christian, that it was for everybody else around her, but not for her. She just had to live in this lower state. Lie, 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 lie. And we live under these lies because we don't have these truths ringing through us. We don't step on the foundation of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't stand up on the message of the cross and say, he gave it all for me. He can affect my relationships. Am I seeing it? No, I might have to wait some time. Will I face opposition? Yes. Did Abraham and Isaac face opposition? They had people come and fill the wells in. Say, you can't be here. This is our land. This is our well. Constantly, God says, this is your land. 
They get chased off because it's somebody else's and they have to face this opposition. They have to wait. But it is yours. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That's what the word says. And our hearts have to grow in this love. It has to. If you can't say, God is chasing me down. God is after me. God loves me. God is willing to break through a wall, to break the sins that hold me captive. Then you're lowering the love of God. The love of God is up here and our love is down here. We have to accept that his love is higher than our own. There is a truth that was spoken to me many, many years ago that my wisdom is here, but I can accept that God's wisdom is way up here. I know that, right? Everybody with me? My wisdom's here, God's here. Way out of the park on that one, right? My strength is down here. God's wisdom is way up here. He can do far more than me. But when it comes to his love, when it comes to his appreciation of me, Mine might be down here, but I keep God down here too. I can't see anything beyond what I can love. And yet God has this completely different perspective. I was interceding for a friend one time. He was going into depression again. He loved the Lord. He wanted God deeply. And I was praying in the privacy of my home, and I was... God, raise him up. He's going through it again. He's going through it again. Oh, God. And the Lord stopped me. And literally, I felt stopped by God. And the thought was, and I, don't pray like that. I, I've accepted that type of prayer in the past, but if you want to go forward with me, I need you to enter into something different. You're praying from your level of hope for your friend. You're saying, oh, look at him again. Oh, it's, who knows how long it's going to be. I have a greater hope for him than you do. You need to tap into my hope so that you pray from my position. Claire, would you come up for a second? I want to, sh I want to make this real. This is my lovely bride. She doesn't know about this, so please protect me later, okay? Christ is the great intercessor. It says he lives to intercede for you, for you, for you. Not for everybody else, but for you. Christ is my great intercessor. Say it with me. Christ is my great intercessor. He's the one who's pulling for you. Romans 32 says he's not withholding. He's never withheld from you. And he's not about ready to stop now. He's opened up the resources of heaven even now. And so he ever liveth to make intercession for you. And when we begin to pray for somebody, we're entering into the intercession of Christ. We're entering into his prayers for that person. We're joining Christ in his work. Christ has already been praying for him. Christ has already been reaching out and wanting the best. And that day, it was like God said, you can go pray your own prayers. Say your own things. Make yourself feel good. Be religious. But you're not touching me. 
you need to touch my heart for the people you're praying for. You need to allow me to take you up to the place of hope and love for others. And then you can join me in this and have the flow of the spirit of life. And it's not that he condemned my prayers in the past. He's taking me further. He's taking me deeper into his love. And this is what he's trying to do. He wants to take us deeper to understand his hope for those around us. Just because somebody falls five times doesn't mean they can't get back up again. Doesn't mean they'll stay in that rut. Thank you, honey. We want to stay connected to Christ and he has more hope for you than you do. He has more love. Your love's here, his love's up here. So I say this, and I'm going to make my points very quick. God could have really punished Isaac and Abraham for their deceit in saying that their wife was not their own wife. Both of them committed this sin. Both of them did it. But God doesn't seem to be too concerned about it. In fact, right after it, the blessing is clearly given to both of them. In the very next verse, after Isaac commits his sin, it says that he had a hundredfold return, a hundredfold in his crops, and his livestock took off, and all this other stuff took off. Was God saying this is a good sin? No. He's sending this message, I think. This is what I think. He's not so concerned about these little things that the enemy wants you to be bound up on. Even when you screw up, even when you mess up, even when you do things you wish you didn't do, he's there for you. He's still keeping his promise. He promised to love you. He promised to be a covenant partner. Covenants don't break easy. Not in God's, not, not in God's way. Because a covenant is not a contract. A covenant is a binding of life. I fight your battles, you fight my battles. You're for me, I'm for, I'm for you. I give you my name. You can switch that. In fact, he did because he became the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God wants to tear down your doubts and fears that hold you back from the full embrace of his love because it's only from that place that you will take off and soar into the love of God. Are you worried and concerned that you might get flaky? I have been. Like, this doesn't seem responsible. Surely God wants to punish this. Surely, I'm wicked. Look at me. Look at me. I, I've, I've thought that thought again. I've done this again. I'm only mediocre. I'll only get this far. I'm going to pack it up and maybe not seek God today because I don't feel so good about myself. No! He wants to break this, this yoke, this bondage of a lie. And he's establishing it as early as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he carries it on through to Jesus that you can see, that you can believe that he loves you and that you will sit down with him and receive the love that he has for you and receive the truth of it from his word so that from the depth of your being, life begins to flow. You can say, he's after me. He's chasing after me. Please close your eyes just for a moment. The worship band can come up and maybe we'll sing this song in just a moment. But I want you just for a moment in the quiet of it to communicate with God, respond to him. He says that he's come for the needy. If you express your need to him, he's even quicker to respond. He's already running after you. Say, God, I need the love of God. I need to know this.
I need these doubts and fears and these low images of myself to go. I am a child of God. I was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been brought in to the beloved, the word of God says. He says he lavishes his love upon me. I want to own that. That's not for everybody else. Take it in. He's lavishing his love upon you. He's running up hills to chase you down. He's knocking over walls. Speak to God about it. Speak to him. Tell him your need. Tell him you want to believe. Tell him you want to come through. Tell him you want to grow in love. Tell him you need it. That you don't want to be in bondage to the lies. You don't want condemnation to have you. You don't want shame to have you.